I, I personally love African accents. Is anybody else? And when I was sitting there talking to Zach's talk, it, brought, it transported me back to times I went to Africa and sitting through four-hour worship services. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Yep. Um, <laughs> we're not going to be here for four hours today, if you're, if, you're, if you're wondering. Maybe like two, but not four. Um, I, I mentioned that actually for a reason, and that is I know that most of us come to new community and kind of knowing that this is a diverse multi-ethnic church but I think one of the things we don't realize is how much you and I come with our sort of cultural presuppositions of what we're accustomed to what we like what we don't like we say this all the time we know at new community that we're kind of on the right track if at some point in the service you're made uncomfortable if you feel comfortable with everything the length of the service, style of preaching, style of worship, the way people, if you're comfortable with everything, you're not at the right place, if I put it. Does it make sense? Like, we want you to be here, but there has to be parts of this worship, parts of who we are, that will make you, poke you, uncomfortable. Does that make sense? So, that's just normal and natural for who we are, you know? And I, I mean, I, I share with people all the time, I, I don't take for granted that um, there are parts of our church, again, that will challenge and stretch some of us to a great degree. My preaching style, for, frankly, for some of you, it's a lot. It's a lot to handle. You don't like somebody screaming at you. You think I'm angry when I'm not. I'm not. I think I'm angry. And he talks to, I mean, they, they keep coming by. Like I said, you know, I mean, there's, and I, and I don't know why I'm on this thing today, but you're passing by hundreds of churches in Chicago to come here. Some of you. And the reality is in our, in our day and age, you know, um, lots of churches will be like, well, we want to retrofit this thing for you. Make you feel really comfortable. And yeah. So I love the way you did announcements today, Pastor Zox. Yes, I can't wait for you to preach. That service might go for four hours, so I just want you to know, okay? <laughs> FYI, we will give you a warning. Because <laughs> we're going to do African that whole service. Uh, so today, um, actually, I, I, I want to do two things. One is we are going to kind of wrap up the sermon series that we've been on, Silence and Solitude, as actually a way of launching to this next sermon series called Scent. And uh, so as a way of sort of wrapping our previous service, Silent Solitude, and if you're just joining us, we spent five weeks on 1 Kings 17 to 19, looking at the life of Elijah and how silence and solitude was a vital part of his life, his rhythm, how God calls him into the desert to be alone with God, where he is stripped of his false self and called into his truest self and then sent out. I came across a story. Do you like stories? Yeah, okay. Once upon a time, once upon a time, long ago in ancient Japan, there lived a mighty lord who realized that death was very near. He urged his only daughter, the lady Yumio, that she should marry. So he said to her, dearest daughter, 
The green of the plum trees has come and gone, and it is the time of the blossoms. But you, dear ones, still have not chosen a husband. All those men who have come for your hand, you've dismissed. Am I your father to die without seeing you married and without seeing my grandchildren? By the way, if you're Asian, <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to like depress you today. You're like, good God, why? His daughter replied, no, father. For I shall fashion a drum of silk, which will be stretched over a bamboo frame. And the man who hears the note when my fingers strike the drum, that man will I marry. What foolishness, said the old man. A silk drum does not make any sound. Poor me, I shall die without seeing my grandchildren. But the lady Yumio was as strong-willed as she was beautiful. And so the silk drum was made. Many young men came to listen to her drum because she was not only beautiful, but also very rich. But alas, when she played upon her silk drum, not a sound did any of them hear. The months and seasons passed as a long procession of suitors came and went. And the aged Lord mumbled, Oh, I told you so. I told you so. And one day into the courtyard came a young, handsome, richly dressed man. He had about him the air of one who had traveled long and far. He made a deep bow to the aged lord and a lesser but gentle one to the lady Yumio who sat with her silk drum at her side. From where do you come, youthful stranger, asked the father. From beyond the mountains and the seas, from far, far away, replied the young Stranger, And for what, may I ask, have you traveled such a distance, asked the father. My lord, said the young man, I've come to marry your daughter. She is only for the man who can hear her silk drum. Do not tell me that you have heard its sound in your far-off kingdom across the mountains and the seas. And the young man answered, you're correct, my lord. No sound of the drum has reached me. Then, stranger, said the father, be on your way like all the others before you. Why do you even linger here? Because, my lord, said the young stranger, I hear its silence. And the lady Yumio smiled and put away her silken drum since she had no further use for it. I hear its silence. And Elijah heard the sound of sheer silence. And he's transformed. And we said for five weeks, Do you hear the sound of sheer silence? Do you encounter and experience the creator living God coming to you, coming to me in silence? 
We're in a season of Lent for 40 days. It began last Wednesday. And I've been challenging you for five weeks. Many people give up stuff for Lent and do all kinds of stuff, crazy stuff, give up chocolate, coffee, etc. How about this season of Lent? You committed to setting aside, as we've been talking about, just even five, seven minutes a day to be alone and to be quiet and silent before God. I want to challenge you to do that. Make it real simple this season of Lent. Set aside time. Find a place, be intentional, plan ahead to be alone and to be quiet with God. Well, where do we go from there? Well, Elijah, 1 Kings 19, is transformed in utter silence as he encounters God's presence. Remember we talked about that? And then he is, check this out, propelled out. God says, I have some things for you to do. We don't stay at the mountain top. There's a mission that God calls us to, right? So this actually is like a 10-week, two-part sermon series on silence and solitude and then being sent. The text we'll be spending the next four weeks or so on actually is a text that I've never preached on. Can you believe that? For 15 years? I've alluded to it, but I've never, and it's so powerful to me. It's Jesus' prayer in John 17. And we're going to just actually spend some time on a section of it, on a section of it. So if you will, uh, turn your Bibles with me to John 17, verses 13. And here's the thing, guys, you guys know what I always say. I always preface the first sermon series, sermon of sermon series by saying stuff like, I can't cover everything today. You'll walk out with more questions than answers today. You'll walk out going, what about, what about, what about? Like, that's, that's normal. So I want to lay a big 30,000-foot huge picture of where we're going today, and then we drill down deep. Okay? So, John seventeen thirteen. This is Jesus praying this prayer. Now I'm coming to you. He's talking to his father. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I've given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying, verse 20, not only for those disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. This is God's work. 
Yeah, so in some church traditions, when, and I don't normally do this, you respond by saying, and thanks be to God. This is, I just had to say that because these words are so good. This is at the last hours of his life, maybe the last moments of Jesus' life, Jesus prays his prayer. And it's actually the longest prayer that we have in the Bible from Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever been at the bedside of someone who's in his last or her last days. They normally share what? The, the deepest and most important things, right? And there's something when you look at this prayer that's at the heart of his soul. There's something that Jesus really wants for you and me. And it's actually in verse 13. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? Did you catch what he wants for us? In verse 13, and, and the NIV that I read doesn't translate really well. Literally when Jesus says, I, I, so that they would be filled with my joy, it literally says, so that they may have the pleroma, which is the full measure of my joy. I want them to have the full measure of my joy. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What Jesus wants for you and me, he's thinking 2,000 years into the future. He says, I want them, God, I want them, Father, to have pleroma, fullness of joy. And by the way, the difference between pleroma and just joy is the difference between a deep well and a cup of water. And he says, I want you, new community, John, Sarah, Peter, I want you to have the full measure, not just rate, full measure of my joy. He says that you and I would experience that. The question is, how do we get that? And the answer might surprise you. Because Jesus says, here's how you get that. You ready? He says, I send you out in mission. What? Huh? What? Where, I didn't catch that, Peter. Where, where, where's it say mission? Verse 18. Jesus says, just as you, check this out, sent me into the world, so I send them. The word send in Latin is the word what? Missio, from which you get the English word Mission. Mission literally means sent or sentness. And what we're being told here is so simple, it's so powerful. Jesus says, I am filled with joy. Play Roma. Why? Because I am a man on mission. And I want you to have the full measure of my joy. How do you get that? I want you to be on what? Are you tracking with me this morning, church? In order to give us this full measure of joy, he sends us out in mission. And I just want to be really clear right off the bat. Mission isn't just about getting on a plane, going to foreign lands. It's about walking across the street. Mission isn't just for pastors and missionaries, seminarians, super Christians. Mission is for every single person who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. And mission isn't about recruiting converts. It's about loving your neighbor. 
who, who, who's doing that? <laughs> Are you tracking with me? Is that what that means? Okay. Well, we have a new one. I've 15 years. I've never. Can I get an amen? amen. So you all need to just chill out. Because some of us come here, mission, and you got, oh, mission simply is you and I are sent to be Christ to anyone, everyone we encounter. That's all that is. All right? So chill out here, okay? And we're going to dig deep into sort of what does this look like and how we do this, why we have a sermon series. But there's three points here. I don't know why I always have three points, but let's just go with it. Three points from this text as an introduction, and then I'm going to sit down and get you out of here. One, when Jesus wills your joy, he'll give you mission. When Jesus wills your joy, I'm just going to say this right here. Some of us in this room have no joy because we have no mission. Some of us in this room have no joy because we have no mission. Do you lack joy and a sense of purpose in your life? And could it be, just could it be that because you've been living just for yourself for years and you have no mission? Maybe because you have no mission or higher mission than getting a nicer apartment or getting a better job and finding Mr. and Mrs. Wright. Give up your small ambitions, child of God. You were made for greater and nobler things than that, child of God. Give up your small ambitions. The entirety of our lives is not made just to pursue a better apartment, a better job, and a nice spouse. God creates you and redeems you. For mission. In Jesus' mind and in scripture, there's an intimate relationship between a sense of mission that someone has in fullness of joy. Why would that be? For a moment, just for a moment, I want to talk to everybody. If you're not a Christian here, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Because I want to talk to you in a way that I think this will resonate with you too. Because instead of talking about mission in some Christian sense, let's just take a step back and just talk about mission in general, okay? In other words, I walk into restaurants these days, and for crying out loud, in restaurants, have our mission is. Have you noticed that? Every healthy organization wants to be about mission. What is mission? Just in a general note, here's what I would define mission as. Mission is when your convenience, your comfort, And your bottom dollar comes second to some higher cause. Mission is when our convenience, our comfort, our bottom dollars, our security, whatever, comes second to some cause. Mission, you're on mission when there is someone or something that is more important than just our needs, and our happiness. Mission is something that you say, I want to risk, I want to sacrifice, because there's something that's more important than my own happiness and my own needs. Mission. Would you agree with that? Now, here's the thing. When we do that, when we do that, isn't there something, some part of our soul that feels alive? It, it just, it, 
I've walked into plenty of movies. I don't watch that many now because I don't have time. But I've been in plenty of movie theaters where I watch a two and a half hour movie. And I walk out going, that's two and a half hours of my life I will never get back. (laughs) There are restaurants that I go eat at. I've been looking forward to it for weeks and months. You know what I'm talking about? You finally go. And then afterwards you're like, nah. I'm just going to speak for myself. But I've never walked away from giving half of my day serving. I've never walked away sitting at a coffee shop listening to someone who's hurting for two hours and walked away going, that was a waste of my time. Never. Never. There is something that comes alive in us. When we live for a cause, for someone or something, that's just greater than my... Listen, there's nothing wrong with having a nice apartment, nice car, nice job. There's nothing, But if you live for those things, then you're living for nothing other than you. And if that's our main goal in life, even if we accomplish those things, you know, you know what's funny is you and I hear story after story after celebrities, athletes, who make it to the top of their career. And you hear about the emptiness they feel. And you and I go, oh, no, no, no. That would never be me. No, no. If, if I... Why are we fooling ourselves, eh? If the primary aim of your life is to be happy, you're never going to be happy. If happiness is an end, it's a dead end, my friends. You need a cause to live for that's bigger than just our five-second lives. If you're the most significant thing in your life, paradoxically and ironically, your life is going to feel less, less significant. That's why without mission, there's no joy. We're most alive and we're living for something greater than ourselves. We all on the same page, sort of? Kind of? Uh, uh, so, so if you're sitting here going, I want some of that joy. Sign me up. Well, well, be careful. Because look at what Jesus says about what we're sent to. Do you notice verses 14 to 16? I'm going to just paraphrase here, okay? He says, here's your mission, okay? When you go out, the world's going to hate you. Okay? Uh, When you go on mission, you're always going to feel sort of out of place. Sort of not feel like you really belong. Oh, and one more thing. One more thing. I'm going to pray for protection because the evil one is going to have a bullseye on your forehead. It doesn't sound like a lot of joy, does it? In other words, he's saying, if you want to be on mission, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be costly. I'm going to send you not to convenient, comfortable places with the cushy mission. I'm sending you out to the most hurting, the most desperate people. And Jesus says, I'm doing that so that you'll have fullness of joy. To which you and I go, what? But he's absolutely right. Do you know why? Check this out. Here's the life pattern in the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be what? Comforted. Have you thought about this? The Holy Spirit is called the what? Comforter. Maybe the power of the Holy Spirit is most available to those who, because they're in mission, they mourn with those who 
mourn. And they weep with those who weep. But why would you need a comforter when your life is already comfortable? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. By the way, it says blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, not blessed are those who are persecuted because you're a Christian jerk. If you're persecuted because you're a jerk, that's on you. Can I get an amen? If you're a Christian and you get persecuted because you're a jerk, that's on you. Don't, don't do the, I'm being persecuted for righteousness' sake. No, no, no. You're being persecuted because you're a jerk. Sermon topic for today, don't be a jerk. <laughs> and we're going to get so into that. Blessed are, for there is this what? The kingdom of God. And I love this one. I love this one. You, you want to find your life? He says what? Lose it. Come on. C.S. Lewis said, if you don't have all your heart broken, put it in a casket of selfishness. But in that casket of selfishness, your heart will never get broken, will never be disappointed, will never be hurt. But in that cask of selfishness, your heart will become unbreakable, irredeemable, impenetrable. C.S. Lewis is saying, if you don't ever want your heart broken, don't go on to mission. Why? Because if you go into mission, it's a guarantee that your heart be broken. See, here's the thing I realized. If you're sent down a mission, people are messy. People are needy. People will stab you in the back. People will disappoint you. People will lie to you. People will not be grateful. People are messy, hard, difficult. But here's the thing. Either you choose to radically love, knowing that your heart might get broken, or your heart gets hardened, there's no alternative. Have you heard this? There's no faith without failure. The second part of that is there's no love without wounds. If you don't ever want your heart broken, don't go into mission. Don't ever give your life, your time away to anyone or anyone else. But remember that in that casket of selfishness, your heart will become hard. If you're that careful or sparing about your money, if you're that careful or sparing about your resources, about some of us, our time, about our emotions, if you just want to get into Christianity so you can be inspired and then go about your day, your overworking day, and never give yourself away to anyone or anything else, Jesus, there's no joy. Why? You're built for sentence. Being on mission, Jesus says, is the essence of life and joy. To the extent that you're on mission, can you experience the fullness that Jesus talked about? So let me ask you. Is your fullness of joy? Are you experiencing this pleroma that Jesus prayed for? Because you're on mission. Or be really honest now. Is the primary ambition and mission in your life today? Better job, better apartment. <laughs> I was going to say better spouse, but. 
call myself a nice. Uh, you need to grapple with this, this entire sermon series. Do you have something or someone that you're living for bigger than just your five-second life? I've said this over and over again. If the greatest fear in our life is that we would fail. If the greatest fear in our life is that we would fail. And by the way, I'm going to get more into this. I think one of the things that we don't live out our life in mission, and I was talking to Zox about this, is many times we're so hung up on success. And I'll talk about that more later. Here's the second point, by the way. Moving on. When Jesus saves you, he saves you for a mission. When Jesus saves you, when he redeems you, he saves you for a mission. When Jesus saves us, you're not just saved from something. We're saved for something. When we're saved, we're not just saved from something. Essence of Christianity, we're saved for something. For so many of us that grew up in church, the essence of Christianity is we are saved from going to hell. Fire insurance. (sighs) That is so unattractive. Can I get an amen? We're not just saved from something, but we are saved for something, and that is for mission. If you think that Christianity is a private matter between you and God, you have not encountered the God of the Bible. When you look at the Bible, God is a spiritual tornado. When you encounter God, he sucks you in. He radically calls you in. You don't know him from afar. He says, come close, be intimate. And then right away he says, I'm going to send you out. God in his very nature, the Bible says, is a sending God. And i just give a couple examples, my favorite examples in scripture of this God being a spiritual tornado. How he radically calls us in and then sends us out. One is Abraham. Do you remember Abraham? Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, by the way, this is how some of us think Abraham, father of faith. Abraham is a pagan, okay? Walking, minding his own business in Genesis 12 when God calls him. So don't think that Abram's a spiritual giant. That God, Abram is a pagan just going about a business when God says, I'm going to intervene in your life. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land. I will show you. Listen to the verbs. Leave. Go. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord told him. And I want you to see the principle that is just God never blesses you except to make you a blessing to others. I'm going to say it like 10,000 times. God never blesses you except to make you a blessing to other people. There is no way that God will bless you. God will ever call you in to bless you without at the same time calling you out to be a blessing to others. And in this sermon series, We're going to literally take an entire Sunday and talk about what does it mean to bless others. Uh, You guys know that we have some fantastic folks in our church, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we've got these, uh, (laughs) 
we got these folks who lead our denomination in certain areas of ministry. And one of these folks is a, 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 a pastor, friend of mine, who attends our church. She oversees evangelism. By the way, that's not a dirty word, okay? And we'll talk about that. Evangelism is not a dirty word. It simply means good news or proclamation of good news. She is going to, on a Sunday with me, sort of talk about what does it mean to live out Genesis 12, to be a blessing. And I just want to, I just want to just whet your appetite and tell you a little bit about where we're going, because this is going to get real practical on one of these Sundays, really practical. So, so they've come up with this fantastic idea of what it means to bless, and the word bless, if you can put it up there, Darius, it literally is, is an acronym, I think is that the acronym, for, for these following things, okay? Bless. How do you bless? You begin with prayer, then you listen with care, then you eat together, then you serve with love, and you share your story. Now, I'm going to be really, some people are taking like pictures of this. I'll send this out. Like, listen, listen, listen. This is, I just need to watch your appetite, okay? I'm not the main course. I need my friend to come up and do a fantastic job of, because like for a lot of us, I realize like, how do we, Peter, go about doing this sent thing? And, and, and this, this is a fantastic ministry to simplify. What I want to do today is this, what your appetite. So first, what does it mean to begin with prayer? Listen to this. Are you praying for folks in your life who do not know Jesus? Are you praying for them? Do you know what I'm going to realize? When people evangelize, people evangelize. When people pray, God evangelizes. I'm going to say that again. When people evangelize, people evangelize. When people pray, God evangelizes. Are you praying for people? Secondly, listen with care. Listen with care. Christians talk too much. Amen. Can I get an amen? <laughs> listen, y'all, don't be shy. Like, this is the time when your non-Christian friend gets to go, really? Christians, I think, talk too much. I think we come with prepackaged agenda of this is what it means. And sometimes we just need to shut our mouth and listen. You clap to that if you want to. You listen. We just listen. Third, you eat together. Look at the life of Jesus. I'm actually preaching, uh, preparing an entire sermon series on meals with Jesus. Do you know how often Jesus sat and just ate with people? Do you know what that meant, by the way? Eating with people? That was a way of saying, I welcome you into fellowship. No judgment. S, serve with love. People think Christians are bullies. Can I get it? People think Christians are bullies. People do. People do. You know why? We know why? I don't think we've served folks well. Simply in love. I'm just going to say this, and this might be controversial. I am 100% of the conviction that we need to be truthful and loving. But if I had to err, if I had to err, again, hear me clearly, we need to be both. But if I had to err, I'd rather be loving and wrong than unloving and right. That's just me. Before you all go, he can liberal. I told you, we need to be both truthful and loving like Jesus. But if somebody accuses me of being one or the other, I'd rather be accused of being loving and wrong about some things rather than being unloving and right. 
Lastly, share your story. For some of us, you need boldness and courage to open your mouth and talk. Here's the thing. At some point, if you're living the way of Jesus, people are going to go, hey, Carlton, why do you live the way you do? that that's a great that's a great that's a great intro if somebody finally comes to you and go hey can you tell me about why do you live the way you do cuz you better have some profound to come after cuz cuz you know you know what I'm saying cuz church is this helpful did I whet your appetite Beth is gonna come in a couple weeks and she's gonna flesh this sucker out of how we go about doing this every day of our lives bless We need to move on. We need to move on. Abraham's call to sentness is particularly instructive for me, though. Because can you believe, when God says, leave your land, leave your country, leave your homeland, he wasn't just saying, leave a physical location. He was saying, Abraham, I want you to leave that which is familiar, that which is comfortable, that which is convenient. And I'm just going to tell you, church, if you're serious about living sentness, Amber, you know what this is like, right? If you're going to be living sentness, it's never going to be comfortable. It's rarely convenient. Living in sentness. 90% of the time, when God sends someone my way, I don't want to be bothered. I'm just being honest. Rarely does God's timetable work on mine, and that's good news. In order to be a blessing, we need to be sent. We need to go. But you know what? It's also a way of becoming more like Jesus. You came from heaven to earth to show the way. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus empties himself, becomes a servant, and gives his life for others. And Jesus says, I want you to do the same. If you are not living on mission, being sent, you might not have experienced and encountered the glory of Jesus. My other example is Isaiah. Do you remember Isaiah? Isaiah 6? Isaiah walks into the temple on a Sunday to worship God and the last person he expects to encounter is God. <laughs> Do you hear that? It's kind of funny, right? Isaiah, like some of y'all. So Isaiah comes to church on Sunday and the last person he expects to encounter is God. That was for you, CC, okay? And what does God do? God having a sense of humor. God goes, oh, well today you actually going to encounter me. Do you remember? And God shows up. And he sees God high, lifted up, exalted, holy of holies. And Isaiah is radically changed. When you get near God, all your insecurities come out. Come on. Come on. All your insecurities come out. Isaiah goes, woe is me. What? I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And God sends an angel who takes a coal from the altar. So beautiful. And touches Isaiah's lips. Do you know what this signifies? Sacrifice was made for our sins in Jesus. Isaiah is cleansed. He is redeemed. And immediately God goes, and now I need a messenger. I need somebody to go tell people who will never listen to you and will never respond to you. And what does Isaiah go? It's beautiful. Isaiah goes, let me think about that for a couple days. (laughs) No, he doesn't. He doesn't do that. Do you remember what happens? Isaiah, then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to these people? Who will go for us? And I love this part. Next. And Isaiah said, here I am. Send me.
You cannot encounter God. Experience healing, forgiveness, love, redemption. And not immediately be propelled to sinness. It just doesn't happen. So you know what? This is the thing that I've had to sit with. When I think about why followers of Jesus are so apathetic about sentness, maybe it's because we have not encountered the God of Isaiah 6. See, guilt is not going to work. You know this, right? Guilt and God. Some of y'all grew up in churches where you heard this every week. You're like, no thank you. The other thing about Isaiah and Abraham that I love is this. You ready? Your sentness has to be an overflow of grace before it is obedience to a command. Can I say that again? Your sentness and my sentness has to be an overflow of an experience of grace before it is obedience to a command. If you're just driven by, therefore go, he says I needed to. It's going to be a burden. But God never sent sentence to be a burden. It has to be an explosion of joy. You have to encounter the God of the Bible whose grace overwhelms you. And you can't help but saying, do you know this Jesus? If you do not understand that you have been touched, forgiven, redeemed, healed, and transformed, this whole sermon series is going to sound to you like a burden, a command. But if you've encountered grace, an explosion of joy. But of course, the best example of God being ascending God was found in the person of who? Jesus. Because in John 4, after Jesus has a moment with the Samaritan woman, the disciples are out buying food, and they come back. And do you remember what Jesus says in John 4? I love this. Look, food is great. That's not what the important priority today. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Look out upon the fields and see all these people coming. They are the most important thing. People are the most important thing. People are the most. Peter Hong, preach to yourself. People, not programs, are the most important thing. Peter Hong, preach yourself. People and not the fact that people do stuff for you is the most important thing. Peter Hong, people, and not the fact that you preach a good sermon is the most important thing. Peter Hong, remind yourself that it's people, broken, hurting people. And not how big your church is. It's people that is the most important thing. That's how people who understand their identity as sent people think. We live with the awareness that we are sent people. And nothing is more important than doing the will of the one who sends us. I don't know about you, but I know this about you. You have a mission more important than food. When you get up tomorrow morning, (laughs) you, Annette, have some kingdom assignments from God with your name on it. Mara, when you get up tomorrow morning, you've got some kingdom assignments with your name on it. But you know what the problem is? We don't wake up and go, hmm. You know what we do? We wake up and go, actually, we wake up and go, I've got some things I need to do and I need God to help me. 
That is radically different from a kingdom perspective that says what? God's got some things for me to do, and I need to join him on that work. Can I say that again? There is a world of difference between some of y'all, me getting up tomorrow morning going, I've got some things to do, and I need God to help me. And saying, there are some things that God has assigned for me to do, and I need to join him in on that. This might be the most important principle throughout this entire sermon series. And here's the third and last principle. When Jesus sends you, he sends you to join him. Everybody say him. Join him in the work that he does. Hear me on this. We don't get to choose what we will do for God. He calls us to join him on the work that he is doing and involves us and invites us to that. Some of us are doing stuff. I won't sit here. Some of us are doing kingdom ministry that doesn't have our name on it. We are involved in things. We are involved in good things that doesn't have our name on it. But when you look at scripture, the principle is not, I'm going to choose great things that I want to do for God. The principle is, God is already at work. Ask a question, how do you want me to be involved in that? That's the question. God, how are you at work? And how are you inviting me to join you in on that? That's the question. You go, well, where do you see that? Ephesians 2 verse 10. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to say the following with me. Join him in the work he does. You know what the good news about that is? And I hope this resonates with you. That necessarily entails that God is already at work. God is already at work despite my cynicism. Can I get an amen from cynical people in here? Despite my lack of faith, God is already at work in this city. And God is already at work in the world. That means that with you and I talk to your Christian co-worker or, or non-Christian co-workers or the non-Christian mom that you've been spending time with or your dorm mate, we need to remember that God is already at work. You know what I found out? This might surprise you. A lot of people are a lot closer to following Jesus than we think. But if you are only with people that are moving in the same direction, you would never know that. You know what else we do? When we're only around other people that are in the Christian community, we think when we talk to somebody, we're person one on their journey towards faith. You're person like 30. And God's been talking to them. But Peter, how do you know, how do you know whether God is at work? There's that L word again. Listen. Listen to their story. Listen intently to their story. Because when you do, you'll be, you'll, you'll be sitting there going, oh my gosh, God is so powerfully at work here and she don't even notice it. And you look at them like, ah. Oh. They're going, why are you looking at me like that? Oh, because God is already at work. You know what I realized? If every single person who says I'm a follower of Jesus in this world 
were to all of a sudden renounce their own personal agendas, their own personal goals, their own, here's what I like to see happen, and radically obeyed God, radically got on board with what God is doing, I think the entire world will be turned upside down. Do you know why? The first century Christians did it, and we're still talking about them. What is your posture and my posture every day? I get up. I got some things I want to do. Good things for God. I hope he blesses me. Or you're already at work. Tell me where you want me to join you. Good Lord. And the rest of that verse says, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, the work we had better be doing. Being on mission is not an option. Amen? Amen. Being on, being on mission is not just for the select few. Sentness is at the very nature of being a follower of Jesus. Listen, you know, well, you probably don't. I do this because I'm a, you know, pastor. And I, our, 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 our American culture right now, and Christianity is losing its influence. There are churches that are going, oh my gosh, what do we need to do? What do we need to get more people into the church? What do we need to get more people into the church? Oh, wow. What programs do we get more people into the church? I just want to reject that and go, that's not how kingdom people think. Kingdom people don't go, how many get more people into the church? Kingdom people go, how do we get the church out into the world? Kingdom people are obsessed not with how many people. Kingdom people go, how do we get the church out into the world? (sighs) Do you see what a radical paradigm shift this is, church? Acts 1.8. The Holy Spirit fall on you. And you will be my witnesses telling me about me everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. How does kingdom ministry work? What does sentence work? And we're going to talk about this for the next few weeks. It starts right where you are. Your neighborhood. Your work. That coffee shop. That gym. It starts with your neighbor. It starts with a coworker. It starts with the people right around you. And then it goes forth from there. I just thinking about this week, Annette. What can give us a greater sense of worth and significance than this? That the creator God who's restoring all of creation goes, I choose you. I want you to join me in on this work. All of you walk out here tomorrow morning and you're surrounded by people who go, choose me. Tell me I'm worth something, please. And we're ignoring the voice of our creator God who goes, I choose you. I want you to do this work with me. CC. I believe that Chicago can be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you? I believe that this city could experience the shalom of God. Do you? Here's the thing, though. That's not going to happen because people show up on Sundays. That's not going to happen because people show up small groups once a week. That is going to happen when we all embrace our sadness and we go out and live our lives as kingdom ambassadors. Church doesn't exist for you. Say that with me. No, I know you don't. Say it like you mean it. The church exists for you. Because you know what? Here's the thing. We are the church and we exist for the world. I have great preacher friends who are pastors. Who have people leave their church and go, I wasn't fed. I'm not getting fed. By the way, say that to a non-Christian. They'll be like, what the heck? What? What do you mean fed? They give you like donuts? Like what do you mean fed? It's such churchy Christian language. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not knocking people. But here's the thing. You should know. 
The job of the church is not to feed you. Read your Bible. The job of the church is to teach you to feed yourself. So if you're not sold on new community and you need to find another church, go to a church that will teach you to equip you to be a kingdom ambassador. So here's where we're going next week. Jesus, in John 20, before he sends them out, remember what he does? Reiterates, At the, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And with that, he... Sorry. Breathe on them and say what? Receive. The mission God has for you is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Literally going to spend an entire Sunday next day talking about this. I know you don't believe it. I don't believe it. The mission God has for you, you cannot do apart from the Holy Spirit. That's why in Acts 1, Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit. Because if you do, you will accomplish more in one day with the Holy Spirit than 10,000 lifetimes. So wait for the Holy Spirit. Is that good news to anybody, by the way? Do you know why it's great news to me? And I'll end with this. You see, come on up. I'll end with this. Here's the reason why this is great news to me. Because the other benefit, the other benefit of the fact that the Holy Spirit empowers us for mission, and again, we're going to spend an entire Sunday talking about this, comes out of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. Peter says, whoever serves, you could say on mission, should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And this verse simply says this, whoever does the work gets the glory. What's your name again? Manny? Here's what this verse says. Whoever does the work gets the glory. If you and I are out there on mission with our strength, our ability, our ingenuity, our passion, who gets the glory? We do. But when we're out there doing it in his strength, his ingenuity, his empowerment, who gets the glory? He does. That for me is the best part. God gets the glory. He gets the glory. He gets the glory. And Jesus says, when everyone sees me high and lifted up, Jesus, see, see, what did he say? All men. I'll draw to myself. Our job is simple, church. It's to point to Jesus and go, isn't he beautiful? Isn't he beautiful? And empowered by his spirit, we go forth. And he gets the glory. Let's pray together. You, child of God, have a mission more important than food. You will get up tomorrow morning. I know it's hard to believe, but you will get up tomorrow morning. And whether it be in your neighborhood, home, school, your workplace, down the street, God has kingdom assignments with your name on it kingdom assignment with your name on it to partner with him in putting this world back together for the glory of God how amazing is that kingdom assignment that might mean a conversation a hug a handshake maybe an email maybe just a smile some of us a cup of cold water or a plate of food or a jacket 
How amazing God says, I want you to join me in what I'm already up to. But I'm telling you, I am telling you, I am telling you. We cannot do that if you get up and you go, I've got some things to do and I need your help. Is that how it works? You don't choose and tell God what you're going to do. Child of God, come on. You say, God, I want to join you. I want to join you in the work that you're doing. How do you want to involve me? How do you want to involve me? And he'll show you. He'll tell you. He'll speak to you. So before the worship thing comes up and leads us in this song, about a minute or so, we just... Just take a moment and say, God, I want to join you. I just join you in the work that you're doing tomorrow and then the day after, the day after. I want to join you in that work. Will you show me how? Will you show me how you want to involve me?